Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, you guys. This is Pleasant. You're listening to The Devil's Music. And today, my guest is one of my oldest, dearest friends. She's an amazing musician. She's got tons of solo albums out. She's a founding member of the Go-Go. She's an animal activist. And perhaps she's also the only human being in the entire history of the world who um, fell off a cliff in a drunken Jedi life, light, lightsaber, <laughs> lightsaber duel. <laughs> Please welcome Jane Reedland. Hi, everybody. May the force be with you. Don't fall off a cliff. <laughs> Hi, Boo Boo. It's so nice to be talking to you. I know. And seeing you on Zoom, you're so beautiful. I love you. Likewise. Um, well, we're going to save the dirty shit for later. Well, at okay. least we can. Um, <laughs> I think we should, um, I think, even though this has been in a, a shit ton of punk books, I think we should talk about the first time we met. Because I, I, the minute I saw you, I was like, I was first like, you know, the first emotions were a little bit of suspicion and jealousy, but I also thought you were so cute. And then when I saw <laughs> you, when I saw what you had to offer in more ways than one, <laughs> <laughs> I was super excited. So tell everyone where it was. Okay, so I when I graduated high school, right after that, I started college at LA Trade Tech, which is, you know, a technical college, because my parents were too cheap to send me to like Parsons because I wanted to be a designer. So um, I was in college, it was 1976. And I was, um, I started I found out about the punk scene in London and I didn't know there was a punk scene in Hollywood yet. And I started making punk clothes and I went to Sunset Strip because there was this store called Granny Takes a Trip. And Granny Takes a Trip used to be like a glitter rock store and it had just turned into a punk store. So I go in with all these t-shirts I've made and like some of them have like zippers over the titties and some of them have like lyrics from punk songs, which actually the guy didn't like. And in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, those are super corny. But anyways, so while I'm in there selling this stuff to him, this super cool chick walks in who's clearly a punk rocker. And I'm like, oh my God, it's a real punk rocker because I'd never met one yet. <laughs> and she was there to sell stuff too. And obviously it was Miss Pleasant and... She gave me a flyer for The Mask, which was the first underground punk rock venue in this hellhole of a basement where the plumbing was already always overflowing. Um, 
And so that's how I found out about the punk movement. And that's how I met you, Pleasant. And um, I just, I, I wanted one of your shirts so bad, but in those days, like, I didn't like, you know, ask for, you know what I mean? Like, you know how, because like, we were both teenagers. I mean, obviously we were both out of our minds and like, completely crazy and, and scary and stuff, but we wouldn't go like, hey, want to trade shirts or something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then after that, I just remember that you were always around and we were always doing scary stuff together. Like, you know, like it, it, for anyone that's listening, the early days of the LA punk scene were so insular and around, around these parts in LA, like we were always just sort of called the hundred punks because there probably wasn't even a hundred of us to begin with. But, um, that, you know, that's how small the punk scene was. And we were all like in it together and everyone in those days, you, you could have a frame of reference on someone just by the way they looked, you know, that they, yes. they'd, um, you know, if they dressed like you, you knew that like you'd seen the same, um, movies and read the same books and had probably the same psychotic sense of humor. Yes. Yes. And the same rebellious nature. And yeah. I, don't know, I don't know how many people realize that how the glitter glam rock scene completely spawned the punk rock scene. Because everyone I know that became a punk rocker started out like a glitter rocker and listening to Bowie and um, Roxy Music and, and Slade and, you know, all, mostly English bands, by the way. Um, and then we just sort of gravitated towards punk because the glitter rock scene was also like, super rebellious i mean it was all like sex and um, you know cross-dressing and it was tons and tons of fun so i always gravitated towards that kind of shit yeah me too i think all of us did too and then there was like the the kind of rocky horror crossover and by that i mean this was in la i don't mean that we we loved the movie but we weren't like the, the kind of people that threw toast at the screen and stuff we just went there because <laughs> Because we were too young to um, get into like 21 and over clubs. So we could only go to like the Whiskey and the Roxy and, you know, like sort of underground or illegal events and the Starwood, which I fucking loved. Oh my um, God, the Starwood. That's my favorite club from that time, I think. I, I have really? dreams about the Starwood and the Sugar Shop. Well, I don't know. I mean, I lived at the Whiskey. I worked at the Whiskey. It's hard. But the Star, the Starwood, I think I just have such nostalgia for it because it vanished. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I know. And now, when you go on the uh, corner of uh, uh, Crescent Heights and Santa Monica, it's like it was never there. I know. That's like, what I mean. Wait, was it really there? But, I mean, that's kind of like L.A. in general. Like, now when I go to L.A., I don't know where the fuck I am. Like, everything's changed so much, and I don't know. It, it's funny, as you get old, how, like, all your whole, like, all your memories start disappearing, both literally, well, both things literally, like, physically in the universe, but also in your brain. Although you remember everything pleasant. Yeah, but I still feel like an, like an old lady. I mean, I am an old lady, but... <laughs> <laughs> like I'll be driving around and I'll be like, oh, there's where we used to pogo dance in the basement. Like, <laughs> tell people that we would save up all our like nickels and pennies so we could eat steak at Johnny's Steakhouse on Hollywood Boulevard, and a steak dinner was a dollar ninety nine. That was really expensive. <laughs> And we really would be paying with like quarters and pennies. Coins. Yes, people don't even like, people just throw coins on the ground now. <laughs> um, 
hardly anyone uses money anymore. I, I mean, like cash money, like, like, you know, hand sanitizer, dirty cocaine money. <laughs> right. I read somewhere that something like 98% of American dollars have cocaine residue on them. Well, maybe that's not true anymore because of COVID, but a few years ago, that was true. <laughs> when I first found that out, that was maybe like, I, I don't know, longer than a few years ago, but I remember scraping money with a credit card. <laughs> <laughs> if anything would come. <laughs> oh my god i had done so many hideous things on cocaine like you're in the bathroom in a club and you're snorting lines off the top of the toilet tank and then like you miss them so you just like wipe it up and stick it in your mouth it's like what, what the fuck no that's that's why we, that's why we're immune to covid knock on <laughs> Yeah, we have very strong constitutions due, due to our fucking <laughs> abhorrent health behavior. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm gonna um speaking speaking of um the white lady, um remember, remember the fucking like <laughs> Weimar Republic party at their house? <laughs> oh shit, dude, I'm not even kidding. I was going through my eight thousand photos on my iPhone yesterday and because it's old, it's like I can't take any more stuff putting photos in. So I was like trying to get rid of photos or whatever. And um I came up with all those photos from that party and I was dying. And the first thing I got because I had on that full on really super hot, cute, like German uniform thing with like the hot pants and the corset and stuff. And I'm like, I should write on these photos that it's not Nazis. I have this huge paranoia that people will find like an old photo of me or something and go like, look at her wearing Nazi shit. Because I don't know if you remember, but that was when we were like buying East German army shit because it was like super hot looking and it was really cheap at a surplus store. Yeah. I don't know why I have this fear of people thinking I'm a Nazi because I'm not a fucking Nazi. Another but wait, I was just talking about that yesterday. Um, because really? I have a, well, well, because I have a sedition. Yeah, yesterday, not the party, but I have a um, seditionary shirt, like an original one, um, mm-hmm. that was Joan Jett, and she gave it to me and my friend Dennis. But it's got a swastika on it, and I was like, I can yeah. never put this on eBay. <laughs> I know that's the depressing part. One of my best friends named Keats, who died a really long time ago, like around. Oh, I like, love Keats. Keats was my uncle boy at that point. Yes, he was. A, he was so. Love you. We had to. Okay, I have so many more stories about Keats, but he and his boyfriend Tev went to Argentina on vacation, and apparently there's all these crazy flea markets with all this insane shit because you know all the Nazis fled there after World War II and they brought all their like priceless antiques and all, you know, their ephemera and knickknacks and shit. So of course, because they're super sick and Tev is Jewish, they bought a bunch of like fucking swastika shit, they, you know, and it was funny to them. Of course, now this is 20 years later. It's not funny to anyone. It's super awful. So they bring it all back and then Keats dies a year or two later and Tev gives me all this fucking swastika shit. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I supposed to do with it? So it's Keats's and I loved him and I want to honor him. But what am I supposed to do with it? Obviously I can't sell it. Nobody will buy it. And plus that's just super icky. So I like wrap it up in like a thousand pieces of paper and I put a note on it. When you find this and I'm dead, I was not a Nazi. I just don't know what to do with it. Did you put it in like a bottle and send it into the ocean? 
they should have done. Now I have this like pirate lunchbox that I hid in. <laughs> and I, hid, I put it in a pirate lunchbox and hid it. <laughs> oh okay, so here's the other thing that I... Also yesterday, this is so fucking weird. I was looking at my house and I was like, I better start cleaning out my drawers because in case I suddenly die, there's some horrifying shit in here that should be burned. But it wasn't like Nazi relics. It was like shit I wrote or just like Ugh. like pictures that like, I mean, it's not like I'm curating photos for after I die, but I mean, like some of them were just, some of them just weren't flattering, dude. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Throw out the unflattering ones. I think it's funny, like everybody thinks like anyone's going to care about their stuff after you die. Like everyone's, everyone's just going to dump everything. And that's why I am like a compulsive dumper. I get rid of everything, which is probably kind of dumb. Because, like, literally, this shit I have thrown out, people get so mad at me. But, um, yeah, because I know from losing my parents and stuff, everything just gets thrown out. So why? Why bother? Why but bother also, they, were, they weren't you. And also remember how we always were. We always looked through people's trash and got great shit. Yes. And, so, and I know a lot. This gives me hope for the future. I know a lot of girls that are in their 20s and early 30s that do it. And so... Have you ever seen them wearing, wearing old clothes of yours or anything? Oh, yeah. I've seen bag ladies wearing my clothes. I mean, oh, we shit, used, used to be called bag ladies. Now we would call them unhoused women, but yes. Oh, that's much better. Remember that bag lady that we called Pinhead and she wore the, like, the, I forget what it's called. It's like from the Renaissance, the pointy oh, hat. Oh, yeah, like a wimple. A wimple. Thank you. She lived in the Canterbury. And I always loved her. Like, she was, I don't know what her story was. Like, she was maybe a failed failed actress or something but she obviously lived in the Canterbury for like a hundred years yes, and, and then she was a drug den <laughs> yeah well no, it was place. during it was during the drug no but den, i mean but like no. she might have lived there like when she had a, a small uh, studio contract or something yes yes because that's what that place was built for the Canterbury it was built for starlets to get their start and then it and ultimately became a place for punk rockers to get their start but yeah. she died and nobody noticed she died for weeks because obviously she was like a bad lady and she didn't have any friends or whatever and i guess finally someone smelled it and they figured out she died and so um I went in there and stole one of her dresses. Did you wear it? I still have. I still have the dress because honestly, I still feel guilty about stealing it, even though she was dead. And plus, oh, I- you should put that in a lunchbox and write that and send it to heaven. <laughs> okay, let's I'm take sorry a break. I stole this dress from the dead lady. <laughs> Um, and we we left off talking about the Canterbury. So um, 
let's talk about some more of the Canterbury and just like all those early days at the mask in the Canterbury because anyone anyone who's in the know about punk rock knows that the mask was the first um, underground LA club um, for punks in in Los Angeles and then the Canterbury was catty, catty corner across the street from it or sort of up the street from it because yeah the a block almost yeah, and so there was like it was like a constant parade back and forth. Was, there should have been a people mover going from like the mask to the Canterbury. <laughs> I literally, I literally remember rolling amps down that sidewalk from the Canterbury, the one block to the mask. Yeah. So tell, um, so like, who was was Belinda living at the Canterbury at the beginning of the Go Go's too, or just was was I? I don't remember like that part of the timeline. Yeah, the timeline, I feel, I think we both, we didn't live together, but we both lived there. And I feel like it was before the Go-Go started that we did that. Honestly, I have such a terrible memory. Um, yeah, but I mean, that really was a punk rock dormitory, that place. It was like so fun. People running around with everybody's doors open, like seriously, like. It was like the college experience I never got to have, but with lots of lots and lots and lots of drugs and you know bad haircuts and stuff. Or the, the college experience everyone else wanted to really have. Um, yeah. The, um. Wait, wait. What was I going to say? I don't even. I, I don't remember. I'm getting um good onset, good timing onset Alzheimer's. No. <laughs> oh, okay. I know what it was when, when there was the graffiti about the, um, the piranhas and stuff in the, oh. in the elevator and the piranhas, um, were, were like sort of an all girl gang or faux gang and stuff. But, um, it was all the hottest girls from the Canterbury and, um, all the boys, I think Terry started at Terry Graham because you were going out with them saying that you guys were all lesbians or something. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, I wasn't a piranha, but, um, I got molested by the piranhas, which, you know, these days it would be bad, but at the time it was just like girls having fun. Um, I don't know. I forget. I took some pills and I was like in blackout and then, um, I forget what, I mean, obviously I got molested, like, I don't know, they just like put hickeys all over me and shit, like, I mean, I don't really care, but Terry Graham went berserk, oh my god, he was so fucking mad, and yeah, that's when he started writing the Cronus are Lesbians and stuff, like, oh, I mean, but- so, so much so much of my past is murky, and there's just been so much other stuff that's even weirder that that one, people like to talk about it, but honestly, it's sort of the least of anything. <laughs> No, I didn't, I didn't really want to talk about it because of that. I just wanted to tell you, um, in case you don't know, like this many years later, that I was like, how come I'm not in the piranhas? I felt I was like, I want to be in a lesbian West End story. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but the thing is, they might have been a gang in name, but they didn't really actually do anything. I mean, other than molest me, I don't remember them really doing anything. No, but that's like sh- all, of, all of my fake bands. Like they had names. Yes but we never played or did anything or like even had a whole lineup, you know? <laughs> I know for ages when you started the Screaming Sirens, I thought it was another one of your fake bands. I didn't realize it was real for ages. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was really real. Cause that was like the good time. Look, well, when I was starting the fake bands, I just, everyone was already in a band and that in those days you couldn't like, mm-hmm. I mean, no one thought of like quote unquote side projects, mainly because most of us didn't know how to play and we just had to concentrate on like one thing or four songs or something. Yeah. 
Yeah. But anyway, um, like when, when I remember you guys in Spurs gig, but also I remember, remember when, um, you were moving a storage, like some storage boxes from somewhere and, and you found, um, you found a bunch of old shit. And I think Belinda did too, right around the same time. I don't know if that's when, when you guys were getting ready to do some kind of thing. It might've been that, um, that first, first documentary thingy that, um, with, um, Teddy Demi or something. I don't know. Well, oh, oh it, you mean the old stuff from the beginning of the go-go stuff? Yeah. And then, and then like, like, just like when you, you were having that, you had one diary entry with someone that, um, you can say or not say who it was, but you're like, I'm afraid I'll get VD. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think I was afraid of that a lot because I literally don't remember. Who was that? Um, that was Terry. Oh, really? Yeah. The, the thing that, that I remember about Terry and why we broke up was that um, I... No, was, not Terry Graham. Was oh, it? Terry, Terry Hall? Yeah. I don't think... That guy seemed like when I was with him that he had never even had sex before. Really? Was I mean, I wanted to have sex with lots of English boys, but and every time I tried, they were like so fucking horrified. Like, I remember this one guy. I'm not going to say it was a guy in, in a band, of course. And um, I tried to give him a blowjob, and he was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> that was shocking. That was really shocking. I never had that problem with English boys. Like oh. the the, the ones that I picked knew what what blowjobs. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you married one, and certainly he was good in bed. Yeah, you should know. No. <laughs> you okay, were very. You were a giver. You were a sharer. You really were. <laughs> Let's take a break, and we'll be right back. Okay, when we were writing, when we were both writing chapters for the first. Um, John Doe and Tom DeSavia book, like Under the Big Black Sun. Mm-hmm. Jane, I'm just telling this to the audience. Jane and I were both, we were like emailing each other different things like while we were writing, like saying, do you remember this? Or do you remember that thing? And then before we handed them in, we both, <clears throat> we both like sent each other our chapters and they had so much crossover. It was insane. It was almost yeah. like we collaborated on it. Yeah. No, no, I was just going to say that that was such a fun project and that was, it was so easy to write. I mean, I just barfed mine out in a couple hours. It, you know, it was like, I think I had just been waiting for someone to ask to tell the story. Yeah, mine too. I th- and I think also because we both barfed ours out in a couple of hours, that was why we w- we just were like saying, what did you write about? Like in case, we- like I didn't even have to outline mine. Mine was just in the consciousness. <laughs> yes, yes, same. But um, uh, also remember, I wrote a story about you in one of my, my books and you got really mad that I didn't mention your name. Um, oh, I know. Delicious and like lezzy and sexy, and she just like was all discreet, didn't say my name. And I call, I called you. I was like, "What the fuck, dude? I don't care if you say my name." I know I'm you're not, on I am so not ashamed of anything in my past, except the times that I have been unkind to people. Those, those are the things that haunt me. Oh, and one more thing. One night, 
I ate this big dinner in town and uh, me and my, my husband at the time, we were driving home and we lived down in the sticks and all of a sudden I had to do a giant shit and I actually had to stop in front of my um, accountant's office, which was this <laughs> little house on Doheny and I pooped in his side yard because I couldn't hold it in. And that is the thing I'm most ashamed of. Not... um. Not having sex with multiple people, not having, you know, girl sex, not taking drugs. It's pooping in my accountant's yard. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, a, that's so female trouble of you. <laughs> <laughs> I did not eat it. Ew. Um. Okay, so speaking of female trouble and and movies and shit, let's let's talk about. We've been in a bunch of movies together. What is it like three or four? I mean, I don't even remember. Like, um, but they were with Steve Balderson. I think it was three. But you know what? I've always wanted to ask you, and I just I need to sidetrack for a minute. What? Remember when they were doing all those like rock movies and punk movies, and they did like the Ramones movie and then they did the Chips Punk episode and all that yeah. crap. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, I remember all of those. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember doing some of them, but I can't remember which one. So then I try and watch them and try and find myself and I never can, but I know I did some of those. People people call me all the time even or text me even sometimes when I'm in foreign countries or when they are. And like um someone someone said they were watching um like a movie at four in the morning and it was weird because I had just seen them on TV and some other special that was current. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But when people ask me, this must be like with you, except you're like a legit rock star. People are like, were you in blah, blah, blah movie? And, and or like, were you in, were you in a, um, an old punk movie? And then I always just go, which one? That yeah. feel like I'm being jerk, you know what I mean? Cause like we were yeah. in all of them. I know. I remember it was like, wow, you actually got paid. What did you pay like $10 and get free lunch or something? Or sometimes they didn't even pay. They just gave us lunch. Yeah, but that was worth it because we didn't have any other work because of what we looked like. Unlike now. Exactly. Exactly. Except when I worked at Norm's Coffee Shop in La Cienica and I had to wear a wig because my hair was like, looked like snow cone head. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about... Um, Oh, the what your, yeah what was your favorite which was um which was your favorite set the casserole club stuck or um or uh firecracker these are all movies we were in um, like together for location together on location for weeks and and each one of these sets was fucking batch i think the casserole club because of the movies we made tell tell everyone about that but wait let's um, take let's take a little break first and and then okay. we'll um, okay we'll get back to it Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Jane and I are talking about some major Hollywood shit on location. <laughs> um, well, so our friend, well, I don't even remember how I met him, but Steve Balderson is this amazing guy from Wamea, Kansas, of all places that wanted to make movies like so badly that he would just freaking make them. He would find funding, he would get crews, he would get actors, and he and we were like Pleasant and I were like part of the stable of people that got to make multiple movies with him. So we did the first one was Firecracker, and that was like about this. It was about this like freak show, and Pleasant played this woman with three boobs, which I always loved, and I was super jealous that you got that role. And um, who did I play? Oh, did I play the woman at the bus? I ran the bus terminal. Yeah, the bus bus terminal lady. And I was all I was all beat, but I had like black eyes, and I was wearing a neck brace because my husband was beating me, which was totally not even part of the film. But I mean, it was just this weird thing that got added in there, um, and that was okay. I mean, we were staying at like a six dollar motel and stuff, and I mean, it was fun in its own way. But with but, Karen Black also staying oh, there, and, like, I was the going to whole- say Karen Black was there, and. I mean, Karen Black was really like towards sort of probably the bottom of her career, but she was still trying to insist on things to to prove that she had value, which clearly she did. But she's like, I need a trailer. So Steve Barrow's like, one of those little trailers that's like six feet long. <laughs> a beat with fiberglass splinters coming out of it and stuff. Right, right. That you pull behind a regular car. So she had that and she was fucking nuts we remember we had some dinners with her and she was just so weird but i mean i was really happy i got to meet her she was a legend yeah she was great she was she was um 
she was talking about like um, her husband, I think was a Scientologist. She was talking yes. about that when, when my first scene was, with her was, um, was when we were both getting raped in a carnival trailer. And I'd made the mistake of watching The Day of the Locust, the, the, you know, the night before, which was like one of my favorite movies ever. And I was all nervous to act with her. And, <laughs> but everybody on, on the, the set of um, Firecracker was either coming out or having affairs or like, you know, we getting into car accidents on their way to like strip clubs. I, I mean that, and this was in the middle of fucking Kansas. It was so insane. It was insane. So that was a fairly fun experience. And, you know, I really, I did like working with Steven. Of course, Pleasant was in all the movies. So then um, I think the next one must've been stuck. Which yeah. was, where were we? Were we in Georgia? Yeah, we were in Macon, Georgia. And this was Macon, a woman Georgia. in prison movie. It was a woman in prison movie, and I got to play a sort of like um, I don't know how to say what's how do you say it politely now mentally. You were, you were a neurodivergent prisoner. <laughs> Thank you, neurodivergent. I love that. And so basically, I had this uh, girlfriend who was played by uh, Susan Trailer, who is actually like a real actress and super amazing. And um, but I would just repeat everything she said, so it was a really easy role. And my favorite part was. The one day that we shot, like we were doing our exercise, walking in circles around the prison yard. And I just like laid down in the grass and started doing like grass angels, which are snow angels without snow. And that was my favorite part of the movie. The other thing was uh, we got to, um, we had these uniforms that Steve got for us that were, you know, our prison uniforms. And basically they, they look more sort of like house cleaner uniforms. They were like these little mustard colored dresses. And he said, embellish them how you like. So I went to the fabric store and I found all these, like, this fabric with like cute kittens on it. And then I like uh, sewed the cute kittens onto mine. It was, it was really cute. I love that. I love that movie. I think that was my favorite. We had so much fun. Do you remember when we were walking through that, that actual prison? We were at the Bibb County um, yes. prison in Georgia. And we didn't know that there was um, like the, the, the bailiff was like, he was like, Ladies, when you are walking through the Bibb County prison, do not make eye contact. Do not make oral contact. You know, do not speak oral. to any of the inmates. And then, and then we stopped at the end of the hall, but they were all wearing striped jail outfits and like hats and shit. Like, like seriously, like, oh brother, where art thou? And it was either you, I think it was you, and you're like, look, is someone else making a movie? And they were chained together, <laughs> fucking chain gang. And they were walking towards us and we were click clacking down the hallway in our little tight dresses and our spike heels. And um, we were like, hi. And they started cat calling us. <laughs> and the guard was like, do not make eye contact. Do not make verbal contact. <laughs> um, it was me because I didn't know there were real prisoners in there. I thought it was a shut down prison. So I was like, oh, it's like they're remaking Jailhouse Rock or something because the black and white Come on, they still have black and white striped uniforms. It was absurd. <laughs> God. Oh my God. That would have been like, I mean, but you know, that would have been like good convict role play tax. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the third movie we did together with Steve was Casserole Club. And that was like in Palm Springs, which was of course super fun. And the house. <clears throat> 
Steve was really creative about budget. So the house that he rented to shoot the movie in was also the house that half the cast were going to stay in, which was really fun. And then there was this other house that we stayed in that was really fun also. And that was when we started making, that's when we made our own movie, right? Yeah, we made lots of them. Okay, so the first night there was a cast party and all of us, everyone in the whole cast got uproariously drunk. So like within an hour of it starting, Jane and I were like holding up all the casserole plates and, and then somehow I think I was like, took my shirt off and I was like, like I dreamed I was making casseroles in my maiden form bra and like Michael Mays was filming it and like um so is um Tony, like the, um, the director of photography. But by the next morning, they had a whole commercial made yeah. and edited, and we were supposed to be—we were supposed to be awake, and he'd stayed up all night doing it. So we didn't want to tell Steve. <laughs> but, but then we made fucking. Then we every every night we, yeah, made, we, we, made, we made commercials. Most of them were about Pyrex, which is oh my god, it was. Well, I hate saying things was, were so funny and then not explaining why they were funny, but you can imagine that. Here we are working like 12, 14 hours a day on the real movie. And then at night, getting super drunk and then making like fake commercials. And then Steve kept finding out and telling us to stop, but we kept doing it anyway. <laughs> but my, my favorite one was when you and I decided to do Silence of the Lambs. And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> The, the people we cast as the principal players hadn't seen it, and we. <laughs> okay, you gotta explain it because it's not funny when we just say it like that. Okay, what right. is the dialogue? Okay, well, well, the dialogue was the part when um when Buffalo Bill has like one of the girls in the pit. She's like, "Please, Mister, please, please, let me out." But we that was you, right? <laughs> Yeah, that was me. But I made I made precious. His little dog precious was made out of a we we shot this one in September in Palm Springs. So this one was made out of a little white Halloween mask of a cat with feathers around it, like glued onto a white roll of paper towel. Paper towels. <laughs> and then i was holding a piece of pyrex and the reason i was gonna um get the hose was because because I, I was using like a metal pot and not pyrex like a, a metal jane said i have an idea and she went she went running away into our little like casita that we were sharing and she like rips the fucking mattress off the bed and hauled the bed springs out and stood them up. And then she wanted um, Nick, this guy who was really cute. I think he played with, was he your love interest? I can't remember. I, I can't, I can't remember. remember either. Okay, well, he was really cute, but we decided that he needed to be Hannibal Lecter for the jail scene. <laughs> so do you remember? We, you we, put, we put a plastic colander on his head because obviously he didn't have one of those mask thingies. <laughs> um, but what? <laughs> Oh, and then when there was, who played Jodie Foster? Oh my God, this is such a long story. I'm sorry, people. So someone was Jodie Foster, right? Or I, was, I think Susan Trailer was Jodie Foster, but also her and Michael Mays, when we were showing them the parts of the movie, like they were both like deeply disturbed. And me and you were standing out by the pool, like rolling on the floor laughing, like, like speaking the dialogue along with it. <laughs> And what about the one we did? It was a trailer for Brokeback Mountain. 
just can't quit you, Pyrex. <laughs> so fucking dumb. Oh my God. We're the dumbest. No, I think that was that whole one was your idea because there was a weird like paper mache horse head sculpture mounted on the um on the garage of one of the houses. Yes, yes, yes. and we used that as our backdrop. Oh <laughs> shit. We had so much fun. How much energy did we have? Oh my god. Well, you still have that much energy. <laughs> well, if, if me and you were together, we would too. Um, yeah. I mean, because it just becomes manic and crazy. Let's let's take a little break and we'll, we'll come right back. Cue up, cue up the theme from Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't quit you, pirates. <laughs> Again, talking about our, our crazy fucking escapades. Um, okay, so, uh, God, where do I begin? Um, I already, I, I already talked about the mate swapping um, when Belinda and I were doing the, um, the podcast on my first thing, but like how we all used to trade, trade partners and stuff. Mm-hmm. And now we'd be called like Polly, but in those days, like, I mean, we were just called sluts. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I I like. We all like that term, but everyone yeah. we knew was a slut. Um, everyone. That's so one great. of the fun fun things about um, growing up in that time. It was pre-AIDS, and the '60s had ushered in this whole like free love business with hippies. So we just, even though we hated hippies, we loved the whole like free love, free sex business. So we just ran with that. So it was like this combination of just like they made it all like innocent and natural. We made it all debauched and fun. Yeah, we made it all like completely, um, you know, like how how all of the glitter rock songs that we liked sounded and how all of the eras in history that we wanted to live in seemed like they were. So mm-hmm. um, that was yeah, that was that was just. I think, don't you think it's weird when people talk about punk and they think it's like only the later punk, like, like, yeah. you know, the testosterone, yeah. like hardcore stuff. It makes me crazy because people especially think that about LA. It's like, they totally ignore actually what was the punk thing. And then punk got hijacked when the Orange County boys came into town. And, and then it all became about like, you know, beating each other up and you know it was all like total testosterone like you said but and I mean I think with John Doe's books and with more and more interest in the original scene that hopefully people are coming around to realize that that is not what it was 
And when it turned into that, I think you, you're the one that said it, like all the girls were like, fuck this. And we just sort of like moved on to rockabilly because the boys were cuter and, and they didn't need to beat each other up all the time. Yeah, they were just, yeah. I mean, all of the, all of the rockabilly stuff, even the psychobilly stuff was like that, you know, like mm-hmm. it was just a lot more, um, it was a lot more female friendly. And it was like way sexier than what the punk turned into because the, the part of the punk that went all like, <clears throat> excuse me, like aggro, you know, Orange County, like masculine was all, it, I mean, to me, and I know to you, it was boring because it was, even though there was testosterone, it was super asexual. There was nothing mm-hmm. fun about it. They were all homophobes. You know, they were all like gynophobes. It was, it mm-hmm. was like, that's why I think that music is mostly boring. I can't think of like a lot of good bands or bands that I thought were good from that time period. Yeah. Yeah. I I just kind of moved on. And it yeah. took me years. To, it took me years to come back to punk rock and and um, remember how amazing the bands were, how good the music was, how much fun it was, and how much it shaped me as an adult later on. Oh, I agree with you on that. I feel like punk rock was like, and nowadays someone would say, "quote quote," it gave me permission. I mean, it didn't give us permission. We already were just taking permission. But, <laughs> but I think we we both and a lot of people that were in it learned so much how to operate in in later parts of life just from that like do what you want like figure out how to do it if someone's telling you can't do it go around it you know yeah yeah yep and and then now that we're old it's like we still don't give a fuck but it's an even more of a way because (laughs) like i think that's that that's the gift of, of getting old is you really do stop giving a fuck because I always struggle being raised as a good girl. I always struggled with wanting not to give a fuck, but desperately giving a fuck. And so that, that was my internal conflict always. But now I'm totally past it. I don't, I don't, I don't care. I really don't give a fuck. <laughs> I remember like on Hollywood Boulevard, there was always these old lady starlets, like walking along with little hats and gloves and perfect purses. And they were always the people they would say to us with like bright blue or lavender hair or some color hair, they'd be like, oh dear, your hair is so beautiful. You know what I mean? <laughs> you got that too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I also remember the, the like frat boys driving by on Hollywood Boulevard and like yelling out the window, Devo! And then like throwing bottles at us and stuff. Oh yeah, no, I remember. I, t- I tell that to people all the time. I, like I got outraged the first time someone brought me into Hot Topic. I was sitting there with my mouth open in horror because it had really been commercialized, you know? Yeah, yeah. And yes. um, But all those people like um, saying all that stuff, those are the ones that turned into, um, you know, the, the punk that everyone thinks LA punk is. Like, a couple yeah. Of years later. Yeah. <laughs> or, else, or else after New Wave started, which was, you know, what the Gogos became part of, and that was sort of like this weirdly sanitized version of punk. I mean, then they then then, then it was great. <laughs> yeah. But the thing the thing that I liked about um you guys' documentary, I, I mean, the thing that I loved about it was not just like how honest you guys were but but also that everyone saved like pictures from the clown the clowns and just all the sickish shit but um i just loved like how 
how people were reacting on social media. And this sounds so so dumb and modern as a statement, but like, they were like, whoa, I never knew that they were like that. And I was like, yeah, it's like, you know, Mm -hmm. that that That, that was was talking to me in a good way. Yeah, that movie changed a lot of things for my band. I mean, people just could not believe that we used to be a punk rock band. I used to get in fights online with trolls trolls be like you guys were, were never punk band i'm like the fuck we weren't asshole you're like 20 years old what what do you actually know so i was really happy when that that movie came out and it was like hello here's the footage like I know, <laughs> wrap, so wrap your key brain around this <laughs> but yeah that was totally my favorite part of that documentary and i agree everyone in the band was like super forthcoming which wasn't always that case because some of the band members have always been guarded and of course I mean I think that's really typical for like people that have been in the spotlight you know but I mean obviously I've never been that way I've always been just like probably an uh oversharer if anything <laughs> yeah the same so I mean like when I was writing the um the stuff for John and Tom's books and also for other stuff I've written mm-hmm. uh, I mean, even with you, you know, I've checked, but I'll check with other people and I'll be like, is this okay? Or is that okay? Or is this okay? But um, like sometimes in the past, uh, you know, like some people would say, no, don't print that. And I'd be like, fine. You know what I mean? But I remember when I was um, working on Under the Big Black Sun, I would send Belinda paragraphs and I'd be like, is this okay? And she'd be, yes. And then I'd send another one. Is that all right? And she, yes. And then finally on like one of them, I was like, is this okay? And she's like, I'm over 60. I don't give a fuck anymore. Yeah, it's so fun. I mean, the other thing I like about about those days is that everyone that's um, still around because we lost a lot of people now, even if we didn't like each other in punk rock, like now, now we just, you know, like Mm -hmm. respect each other, if not like each other. But yeah. Yeah. And there's people I've become friends with that I always wanted to be friends with. Like, I mean, I always knew John Doe, but I was totally more of a fangirl than a friend. And then over the last 10, 20 years, we've become friends. And I mean, that guy is so worshipable. I mean, he's so talented and he's so, such a great writer and he's so handsome. And it's just like so cool. He's so nice and he's so smart. Yeah. (laughs) That guy got it. He's got it going on. But yeah, know, why don't, we should clone him. We should we should grab a, like a fucking cheek swab from him. John, we're gonna come over and do a medical procedure. On you. <laughs> oh my god! Remember when we did the nurse Betty party? Yes. Tell everyone about that. Okay, so it was the it was when the movie of Nurse Betty came out. Was that Renee Zellweger? Yes. Okay, so Jane and. Jane and I got asked to host a party for it at this drag queen club called Drag Strip 66 in LA. And which was the best club ever. Yeah, it was so but sick. This was like was it, that was like in the late nineties, right? I think it was ninety-nine. I don't remember what time yeah. that it came out. Um it yeah. and it wasn't it was, was it an, I can't remember. It was an official party for the movie, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we both get decked out in our finest, like, really hot, sexy nurse outfits. And, oh, I love me a good nurse outfit, by the way. I really do. 
but we, it's me too. You, you know, I wore one all through punk rock, like when I had those 40s nurse uniforms. I mean, nurse, I, the, the only time I haven't had a nurse or surgical mask fetish was about a month after lockdown. I was like, I'm done. definitely lost their sexiness after a month or so but but we were um we were like sprucing up our nurse outfits at at her house and getting ready for this and we were doing we were drinking already like really early and then we started doing coke and i and i remember the fucking like i was trying to cut out a red cross out of like thick latex (laughs) and glue gun it onto my nurse hat and there was like fucking glue marks and garbage all over the place and we were all like ganked out and insane but when right. we got to, go ahead oh i was gonna say not to mention all those severe burns you always get when you use a glue gun holy moly oh yeah yeah especially when you're especially when you're inebriated doing it but but we walked that we walked into the club and we didn't know it was going to be as crowded as it was but we got there probably like an hour later at least than we should have been and it was packed and there was people running around in like fucking hospital gowns with their dicks hanging out and like <laughs> all these tall nurses and stuff and jane and i were just stopped at the door and she she turns and whispers to me which was actually yelling because it was like really loud there and she went Boy, there sure are a lot of sick people here. <laughs> so we oh, man. Those, those are the days. Oh, I should, the thing, I don't know, besides how cute our outfits were, and I do remember the cutting out of the red crosses and the gluing, my main memory of that is like trying to do blow in the bathroom where all the toilets had overflowed and it was like just like the mask 2.0 where there was like poop on the ground and like I'm like gagging while trying to snort cocaine it was so ridiculous at some point you got to be like maybe you just don't snort any cocaine right now because there's poop floating around your feet oh no gotta do the drugs (laughs) You had to stay sterile. Oh, that was it. Yeah. I was about to do surgery. I needed to be sterilized. I, I think we were walking around with our arms up with gloves on at one point. Yes! <laughs> we're just walking through the whole club like that. That was fucked up. Um, okay, so speaking of outfits, um, you've got your induction um, to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame coming soon. Uh, do, you, do you want to reveal what your outfit is or are you keeping it a secret? Um, it's kind of a secret, but I will say that my friends, um, Eddie and Johnny, who are the design team of Debacalist, which is basically my favorite design name ever, um, they're making it for me. We've been collaborating um, long distance over the ideas, but it is going to involve a corset, of course, super cute jacket with gigantic pointed upright shoulders and, and um, trousers and a skirt. So the trousers are for the performance and the skirt is for the induction ceremony. So, but that is not to say all the exciting parts of the outfit. Those, those are just the boring parts of the outfit, but I can't reveal the rest because I want it to be a big surprise. No, of course, you need to do that. Um. Oh, and I bought shoes that they're platforms and they're like a foot tall. Really? Yeah. But they're not you the have kind like that... walking attendants with you? No, no, because they're not the kind like Lady Gaga wear, which I don't get how she walks in those. Mine are just like more like, you know, the monster 
army boots, you know, the, the platform and the heels are almost the same height. So I end up being over, hopefully I'm going to be six feet tall, which has always been my goal in life. <laughs> and, and it's going to look really stupid because I realized the other day that I'm going to be like eight inches taller than the tallest go-go. <laughs> That means you'll have to stand in the middle. <laughs> yeah, but I will say this. My skirt is going to prevent me from standing near anybody. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, maybe you could have the other girls hide under it, like in the nutcracker. And they could come out from underneath it. <laughs> mm. So tell me... Um, what kind of stuff do you have like coming up in the future? Or tell me about, tell me, tell everyone about, about your animals first. Who do you, who do you have now? Oh, like, okay. Is so, a miniature horse or am I hallucinating? Uh, no, I have a bunch of miniature things. I moved back to Hawaii where I was living a few years ago. And this time um, I'm living on a farm and um, I've just started collecting miniature animals because they're so cute and fun. So I have two rescued miniature donkeys. That's what, have, you had, that's what you had. I'm obsessed with yeah. donkeys. Oh, my God. I want one so bad. Donkeys are amazing. They have so much personality, and they're so cute. And, oh, my God, I love them. They're very sassy, too, which is great. And I have two miniature goats who, as it turns out, miniature goats are like dogs. They, like, run around with you. And, like, if you're not paying attention to them, they'll, like, grab you by the shirt with their teeth and be like, me, me, me. <laughs> sometimes i'll be bending over like um cleaning up poop or something and they just like jump on your back so you know all those videos of goat yoga yeah. it's totally a real thing like go goats want to jump on anything that's higher than the ground so anyway so that's so the, the two goats so i've got smitty and jonesy are the donkeys and then quentin and elliot are the goats and then i recently just got two baby doll sheep that are miniature sheep and their names are barb and betty Oh my God, they're so cute, but they have all their wool. So they're really short, but they're like as wide as, um, they're as wide as like a coffee table because they have so much wool on them and it's Hawaii, right? So yesterday I was up in the field and they're like panting. I'm like, oh shit, I have to shear the sheep, which of course I've never done before. So I got to learn how to shear sheep. Wow. <laughs> oh wait, and then we also have, um, we have a giant tortoise. He's 30 years old. He was a rescue. He's enormous. Tortoises are super weird looking. Um, and then I have three rescue dogs. And we're probably going to get more dogs because I'm a maniac. But I do, my main thing that I do outside of like being a total amazing world-class rock star <laughs> is um, I rescue dogs. I love rescuing. Yeah, you've always I mean, done yeah. that. Yeah, I've done it for really a long time. Do you, do you know, you know about my sick project at Hollywood Cemetery? No. Oh my God. Me. Okay. Well, you and everyone else have to go and look at Ramon's ducks on Instagram. Um, this started as a pandemic project in, in like spring or, you know, sort of, no, summer of 2020. Cause I was going there cause everything was closed in LA and I was already feeding like the ducks and the cats like a couple of times a week. And as you know, we used to have punk rock parties like yes. or, or stuff at night in the 70s in Hollywood Cemetery because it wasn't even yes. lost. It wasn't called Hollywood Forever yet. It, it was just a trash, old, cool cemetery in the middle of Hollywood. Mm. But um, <clears throat> so after, you know, I, I brought um, 
my boyfriend there and because he's like what do you fucking do he thought i was doing witchcraft at the cemetery and i was like no i feed the ducks so so, um, <laughs> so then he, he said i love ducks so he came with me and then he was like he was like like a little kid he's like can we do this again tomorrow and i was like sure because you know what else was anyone doing in the pandemic so we started yeah. doing it and he was coming every day and then we had this idea to like start like directing the ducks across the water and like making hand signals and calling them and and it was mostly this was like the joke was to um to like be able to walk into any event in the cemetery when big giant air quotes everything goes back to normal and i was like you have to get a suit i'm gonna get like a, a really nice hooded cape and then we're just gonna throw our arms up like wizards and everyone's gonna come like swimming and and flying and like crawling to us but then it started happening like, like nonstop and so then um <laughs> then we decided to train them to go up to didi ramon's grave and then he he made samples it like he he played a version of blitzkrieg bop but he sampled all the geese and the ducks and, and all the waterfowl in the cemetery so instead of um instead of hey ho let's hey go, ho, let's go it's quacking it's and then you had footage of them running up to Didi's grave yeah it's got its own whole instagram account <laughs> no way Ramon's ducks. yes you have to watch it you'll lose your mind that sounds amazing it is yeah, true though you Farm, everyone thinks farm animals are so dumb, but you know what? They're just like not interested in you unless you have treats and it's all about food as it is with me, by the way. Um, like my miniature sheep, they were so shy. They wouldn't let me get near them. And then I started feeding them this like sheep treat that's basically like crack for sheep. And now like they see me from like 200 yards away and they just start screaming. And, and one of them is like a, like a lady soccer coach. She's all like, whoa. oh my god they're so funny and they come charging at me they've actually knocked me down once um yeah so you can really train them to do anything with food that was like that the lead singer of ducks creek bop was like a little girl mallard and her name was loudmouth and you could hear her you could hear (laughs) her all the way across the cemetery but as soon as they figured out there was food at didi ramon's final resting place yeah. Now we'll play, um, we'll play like the song through a speaker and all the ducks come running or flying from all different parts of the cemetery to come up there every fucking day at, at like what? 45. Yes. Yeah. So you have they're, to. they're trained to come to, to Ramon songs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yes. <laughs> That's genius. That, oh, it's 11, 11 pleasant. Oh my god! <laughs> hey, of course it is. Let's make a wish. Okay, wait. We're, we're gonna have a moment of silence as we make a wish, and everyone in that's listening will too. One, two, three. Okay, wait, that that's a, that was a good moment of silence. I hope you guys all get your wish. <laughs> um, well, do you, is there anything else you want to talk about, or should we? Like, well, yes, of course there is. <laughs> I don't know with you, Pleasant. You, we can just talk forever. I love that you remember everything. You're you are like my memory. <laughs> you're you're in so many of my memories. It's it's insane. Um, should should we should we should we tell them about um about the story that um the story that the um that I didn't say your name in was, so they can find it or no? 
Nana's flossing her teeth. That's like her, that's we discovered right before we came on the air that that's both of our obsessions. <laughs> Farm I'm animals floss- and flossing. <laughs> you know, you know that Rolling Stone album called Let It Bleed? It's actually about flossing. <laughs> wait, you know, wait, remember that book, Interview with the Vampire? That's actually about flossing. <laughs> And a lot of people don't know that so many people have been made into vampires because they were flossing and the vampires were attracted to the smell. Um, I want to say this, Pleasant, you have to tell them, was it Showgirl Confidential that had that story in it? Which of your books had that story in it? Yeah, it was Showgirl Confidential. So you have to read Pleasant's book, Showgirl Confidential. If you haven't read Pleasant's books, what are you waiting for? Hello? Um <laughs> Anyways, you can read about the Lesbo story between me and Plezzy, who will always be my favorite girl. You too. <laughs> I love you so much. I love you so much. Okay, we have to, next time we see each other here or on, on the islands, um, we have to do farm animal shit together. And fly, okay. I mean, and fly. I definitely want to meet the ducks. Oh, yeah. I totally, I'm dying to meet. Okay. I, I expect you to have like a wallaby, a miniature kangaroo by the time I come over and see you. Please, you please, I can't have one. That was the first thing I Googled when I came back from Australia. Own a kangaroo legally in the United States. I want a pygmy marmoset. Those things are cute. Oh my yeah, God. No, you know what? Owning wild animals is so bad and wrong. I, I was on Facebook and I followed this group that basically they like have auctions for all these exotic animals. And I, I was on it for a couple of days and I started feeling like so horrified and so guilty, but they had shit like an uh, animal that had been created by breeding a zebra with a horse. And it was like a fucking horse with zebra stripes. And I mean, you know, it's, you, you want it, but you know, it's wrong. And if you're a good person, you don't go after it. So I had to actually stop looking at that page because it was like, I was way too covetous and it was for something really bad. I don't know. No, I know the Zoises. I'm obsessed with them too. With the what? Zors or whatever. Oh, Zors. Right. Yeah. Right. There's also something called a gape that's a cross between a goat and sheep, but apparently it's really bad genetics because they have different amounts of chromosomes. But like every like once in a million times that it happens, the thing lives. And at first I was like, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to breed them. And then I'm like, no, you're not going to do that because you're going to have a bunch of dead baby animals. So. Try to be good, people. That's the moral of my story. Don't be an ass. Don't do eugenics with farm animals. <laughs> right? Don't think don't think you can play God or if in with a small G. <laughs> All right, my love. I love you the mostest. Okay, I love you so much. Um, you guys, that was Jane Weedland, and that wasn't even that wasn't even like a, a thirty, uh, you know, a thirty-eighth or a forty-second of how. It, exciting and amazing she is we could probably do like a four hour version of this podcast but maybe we'll do it and put it in a lunchbox and someone can discover it from us posthumously (laughs) (laughs) all right you guys um see you next time on the devil's music Talking about us, ten eyes, well that's no surprise Can you see them, see right through them 
They have no shield, no secrets to reveal It doesn't matter what they say In the jealous games people play Our lips are sealed There's a weapon that we must use The Devil's Music is written and hosted by Pleasant Gaiman Produced by Aaron Alden. All sound design by Jerry Danielson of Busy Signal Studios. And of course, is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at pantheonpodcasts.com. Our social presence is at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found wherever you get great music. Please pick up these important and fantastic tracks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.